just want to say thanks to all the people who came out yesterday for our volunteer training day yesterday and Friday and still came to church this morning. Like you're already in church eight or nine hours this weekend and here you are again today. Stellar. Bless you guys. Thank you for your involvement, your volunteering, your encouragement, your support. Word to all of you. Bless you. So this morning we're continuing our Pray First series. This is actually our concluding uh, message in the series. And uh, it's been four weeks long. And I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged in prayer. And prayer is essentially the central focus of our faith. Anytime you bend a knee in prayer, you're saying to God, you're God, and I'm not. And just the beauty of that posture of prayer, in my estimation, is the very essence of our spiritual journey, that he's in control. And uh, here at SunWest, we don't want to just be a church or people that pray. Our aspiration is very simply to become a church of prayer. Not just a church that prays, but a church whose very essence and nature smacks of prayer. So this series for me has just been a delight. This is very much where we're going, uh, very much what's dear to our hearts, very much what's in our values. So today we're going to talk about prayer being our first priority, specifically in the area of persistence. And uh, this is our, as I mentioned, our final message in the series. You guys okay? Good. So we want to start today with our text, Luke 18. To be honest with you, I've, I've referred to this text dozens of times in messages, but I've never actually preached this text. So I'm very encouraged uh, to share this with you today. However, it is so small on uh, my phone screen. Uh, I don't even think a 30-year-old could read this. It's, 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 it's that, forget, pardon my back, but I'm just going to read it. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there's a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. One of those first century rabid widows. <laughs> the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, They'll see that they get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, 
Will he find faith on the earth? Very simple outline that we're going to follow together today. We're going to talk about the parable's purpose, to pray and persist. We're going to talk about being passive, the plea, and then find five actualizations of the pondering. There's permutation, people, pestering, prompter prolonging, and a polarity persuasion. Do you know how much time I had to spend in the thesaurus? <laughs> and ironically, this morning's message will be short because I have to pee. <laughs> Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for this ancient parable, this uh, lesson in narrative format that even though it's a story you told 2,000 years ago, Lord Jesus, it's, it's still something that's alive today. Because your word says it's living and active, that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's able to cut in half soul and spirit and lay our hearts bare before you, to whom we must one day give an account. So, Father, I, along with these people, submit my heart today to your word. We're thankful for it. It's not just some book. It's not just a bunch of old stories. It's this life-giving source of challenge that brings us closer to you, God. Help us. Help us as we look in your word today. We pray with thanksgiving in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, I want to jump right into the outline. Again, that first verse we read, Jesus told his disciples a parable, a story to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Very simple purpose to the story. Not just to pray, but to pray persistently. That's a big deal. I think a lot of us in our culture today, we pray in such a way that we're just looking for drive-through results. Hey God, I took a minute to acknowledge you. I actually slowed down into the drive-through lane. Where's my answer? Jesus isn't going there with this story. He's taking the opposite persuasion, saying, we really need to persist. And there's a recurring theme in this story of not just persisting, but persisting through delay. Persisting when you don't get an instantaneous result. I'm probably jumping ahead a week on this series about false advertising. But I think that's a message that our media perpetually drives at us. Quick results. No waiting around. Hey, if you're paying top dollar for our product, We'll ship it to you overnight. It, it'll be quick. You'll have instant change. And that's part of the lie, I think, that stands contrary to the ancient message of Scripture. That if there's going to be quality, life-giving substance to something, sure, occasionally you get that instantaneous miracle, that quick thing. And that's awesome. God can do that. But more often than not, God is more concerned with process than he is outcome. He's working something 
And even in the middle of the story, he makes it very clear it's not just about prayer, but it's about prayer with persistence. Secondly, we see the passive side to the main character in the story. The judge said, uh, this judge, he was neither one who feared God or cared what people thought. Yeah, so essentially he's cat judge, is what I'm saying. It's not an issue of people's opinions. It's not an issue of the judge caring anything about what anybody thinks. But unfortunately, it's not just that he doesn't care. He also doesn't fear God. The Old Testament taught us that the fear of the Lord, that healthy, divine respect, that's the beginning of wisdom. Healthy prayer has this esteem for God. Pride, also known as, in this case, independence, can function without consulting God or even thinking about God, not just about other people. But prayer essentially is saying, again, Lord, your opinion matters to me. Not just your opinion, but Father, I'm living in this paradigm, this economy where everything that I do depends on you. The book of Acts recites these words. It's in him that we live and move and have our very being. That in essence, again, is a fear of the Lord. That's where prayer starts. It's not about apathy. It's not about caring about other people's opinions. The other extreme is to care so much about people's opinions. Again, as the scripture says, the fear of man is a snare. But the judge is 0 for 2. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care with even what God thinks. So in this part of the story, the judge serves as the antithesis of the prayerful posture. He is not representing God. That's fairly clear in the story. There's a number of things about his attitude where the focus of the story is more so on the persistent widow than it is on the character of the judge. The judge is not really an indicator of how God acts. But we're going to pull some nuggets out of there in just a minute. Thirdly, see how we're flowing along? You'd think we're almost halfway done. <laughs> the plea. So there's this, this widow who's coming to him with this plea, grant me justice against my adversary. I want you to see three things about the plea of this, this lady. First of all, she's a woman, which in the first century context, not a lot of hope for. There's not a lot of judicial, not a lot of legal support. Just because she's a lady, the court would look more fondly on her if she was a gentleman. Not only is she a lady, but she's a poor lady. She's wanting. She's impoverished, as is often the case of the first century widow. There's no social support. There's no provision for her in even family law or biblical law. So not only is she kind of behind the eight ball just because of gender discrimination, but she's impoverished and she's woebegone. That's just a great word, isn't it? Woebegone. She's, she's destitute. She's sad and desperate because as a widow, she's hurting. 
She's lost her husband. Goodness knows how long ago the story doesn't say, but there's no support for her, and she's in this grieving process, very sad. So here's this lady. She's a woman. She's wanting. She's woebegone, and she's looking for justice. We don't know who her adversary is. A bill collector could take her to court, and in the first century, throw her in jail or make her a slave. If her adversary is after financial reasons, she doesn't have a lot of hope. We're not totally sure what the source of the judicial plea is. It could be she was assaulted or taken advantage of. We're not sure. Suffice to say, she comes to the judge. She's looking for justice. Again, that's a huge theme in Scripture. We read in the book of Malachi, the people of Israel crying out, Where is the God of justice? Huge scriptural theme. It's a reality of life today. Many of us still crying the same cry as found in Malachi. Where is justice in this? Like, where is God in this? Like, like, if God is a God of justice, why are there so many Syrian refugees right now flooding Europe and all over the world? Like, where is their justice? All these people that are fleeing war and difficult. Where, where is the economic justice in our world? I mean, we work hard. And we're struggling in Calgary right now. Where, like, this isn't fair. Where's the justice in my situation, the pain of my home and broken relationships? I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. This just isn't fair. I don't know if anybody told you, I don't know if you got this memo, but life isn't fair. Eternity's fair. God is the just judge, but right now, sometimes, it sucks to be me. It sucks to be us. It's a universal, timeless cry. Where is justice? And again, Jesus is using this as part of the launching into why it's important to just persist, why it's so important to, to stay with it in prayer. Hmm. Fourthly, we see a whole bunch of questions, four, or sorry, five specific questions. For some time, the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, he finally says to himself, it's like there's this change of mind, like he's considered all the options and hmm, and this is where the story really breaks down. If you're thinking that the unjust judge represents God, we know that God doesn't change his mind. God knows everything. He's, he's got a plan. and It's not like he gets some news through our prayer and says, Oh, really? They're sick? I didn't see this one coming. Like, obviously, God knows the end from the beginning. God's not changing his mind. He's not easily swayed because of circumstances. That's, that's not how 
he rules? Why would a God who knows everything? And even if you change your mind right midstream, God's not going to be, oh, what a trickster. I'm going to have to change everything now. Again, God knew you were going to change your mind and then change it back again and then change it back again. He's, he's with you every step of the way. He knows all the options, every permutation. So it's not a question of, of God changing his mind. And again, that's kind of one of the questions that this story raises. Like, if I pray enough, can I get God to change his mind? And what's the magic number? Is it praying 20 minutes a day? Is that going to be enough? Do I need to bump it up to 25 and then I've persisted enough and God will change his mind? It's not the point. Let's move on. There's another question. Is it about people? Again, the judge is saying, you know, because I don't care what other people think. Again, I think a lot of us get really discouraged in our faith because of other people's opinions. I mean, who among us isn't influenced when people are saying things about us or sometimes to us, it eats at us. And again, the scripture's clear that the fear of man is a snare. It's like a, a hunting trap. Gets your feet tripped up and then you're easy prey to be taken down. And when you fear others, I'll tell you something, the enemy can easily take us down. When we're concerned about what others think instead of what God thinks. And again, isn't that the essence of prayer? Of just tying into our Heavenly Father and saying, Lord, Lord, what, what makes you smile? I know that's a radically different approach to prayer. I find a lot of times I approach prayer like a heavenly shopping list. Okay, God, here's what I'm going to need today. And I just walk through the list and it's check, 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 check. Just trying to make God aware of my needs. But it's such a different posture to come into a place of prayer, just talking to God, sharing my heart with him, and inviting his opinion. Lord, what could I do that would line my life up with your plans, with with your purposes. Then it's more of this beautiful father-son relationship. Bringing pleasure to our eternal father through our hearts of contrition and obedience. Wow. My dad just visited us out here in Calgary. He's from Ontario. And we were in Ontario on some business and some vacation. I invited Dad, hey, do you want to come out sometime? And Dad said, ah, no, no. But before we left the province, he said, you know, I, I would like to come. So Dad flew home with us a couple weeks ago. And I found a lot of our conversation, as has happened in the last few decades, I mean, it's different when you're, a kid, a teenager, even a young adult living at home. But now as we talk man to man, 
there's this beautiful affinity that we have in our conversation. Talking about things we like, talking about favorite pastimes and memories. It reminds me of that old hymn that says, when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. And I often reflect on the last verse of that hymn in my devotional times, O the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend as I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. And again, this past couple weeks, just spending time with my dad, he's still my dad. He'll always be my dad. I'll always honor him. But, but when we returned from Elbow Falls one day and another day from Banff, as I've spent the whole day with my dad, it was suspiciously like friendship. Friendship isn't about being so worried and concerned about what your friends think that it changes how you perform. It's rather that you're so in tune with your friends that it's just a pleasure to have things in common, just to spend time together, to be together. And here's what I want you to see, is Jesus is inviting us into that friendship. He said in... John chapter 15, you know, I haven't come to call you servants, but friends. And so many times I think, I don't know about you, but I get hung up in just doing the right thing and saying the right thing and trying to be Joe Christian guy that I fail to delight in the friendship side. And Jesus is inviting us to persist. Are you ready for this? In friendship, not in begging, but in being with him, persisting in this communion, persisting in, Jesus, I just want to talk with you. What a beautiful invitation. Not the Lord bossing around his servants, but the son, the mature son spending time with the father. Beautiful. Mm. The third question is one of pestering, yet the widow keeps bothering me. I'll see that she gets justice. Again, if the thought here is that we can pray enough and bug God enough to get our own way with prayer requests, that's actually antithetical to what Jesus already taught about the pagans. Remember this, Matthew's Gospel, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, do you think you're going to be like the pagans? Who they just keep babbling on, same prayer, over and over again. Do you think that you're going to be heard because of your many words? 
And Jesus actually launches into the teaching on the Lord's Prayer. One of the main points of his teaching is keep it short, keep it simple. It's, it's not about the, reputi- uh, the repetition of saying it over and over again that gets God's attention. Again, what's the quota on that? If I pray it 20 times, will God listen? If I pray it 50 times, this is not some quantitative response. It's just a parable. And I want to suggest to you that repeatedly praying the same thing does not show faith. It actually shows a lack of faith. Many times I've come to God and I kind of get this sense when I repeat a prayer request, I, I kind of get this thought in my head, uh, I heard you the first time. Again, an omniscient God, what do I... He knows what I'm going to ask even before I ask. Now we're truly almost done. Here we see a fourth question about, is it going to be prompt or prolonging? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? See, in this, in this regard, there is no parallel between God and the unjust judge. God hears us when we call on him. Um, let me ask you this. Do you get instant justice every time you pray for something? Is there anybody every time you pray, you're boom, you're getting instant. Oh, good. I thought it was just me. And this is the question that the parable raises. It's not an issue of can you count on God for justice? Because once again, in eternity, as I said earlier, we get that. Eternally, we find that place of justice. So why do we pray all the time? Why is, he con- why is our, our Lord encouraging us to persist in prayer like the badgering widow? Like what's the solution here of... Let me ask this question. Is there anybody you've been delayed when you asked for a prayer and didn't get the response right away? Anybody been put off? We have four honest people in the room. <laughs> like if anything, for me, I feel like the more I pray, the longer it takes. Sometimes if I just leave it alone and ignore it, it's like, oh, that, that all worked out good. Whew. But it seems the more I pray about it, it seems sometimes the longer the answer to prayer takes. Partly because I'm more focused on it if I'm consistently praying about it. But again, the encouragement of our Lord is is to keep on persisting in that posture of divine dependence. Even if you're put off. Even if you're delayed. He's inviting us into a different way of thinking, a a totally different lifestyle, again, of saying, you're in control, not me. And I hate to relinquish that. And yet he perpetually calls me to this place of submission when my prayer requests are delayed. Hmm. And here's the last question. Oh, sorry. 
after this perspective bit. See, the perspective on are we going to get justice or not, the perspective, and for a lot of us, perception is reality, is when our prayer requests are put off, when they don't get answered instantaneously, we get this perspective of God our ogre. Like he's sitting under a bridge somewhere. And every time we try to do it his way, his mean hand comes up over the bridge and says, I'm going to scratch you. I'm going to hit you. I'm going to delay you. And we get this perspective that God is mean. We get this perspective that God just doesn't care. It's like the more I turn to him in prayer, the more I just keep getting shut down. And, and this is where the rubber really hits the road. I mean, all weekend we were talking about the discipleship process. And when people come to Jesus, they're scripturally, they're called infants. And then we grow up and we have childhood in our faith where we have this simple trust and we're starting to learn. And then we come into, you know, older children and then teenage and then adolescence. And then ultimately we come to a place where we're parents and we reproduce our faith in others. But I don't know about you, but I quite often get sucked back into the baby season when my prayer requests don't go my way. God, don't you hear me? Don't you care? And, and there's this immaturity on my part because I just have this perception that I should serve Santa Claus God. I just, you know, I throw up my list and boom, everything shows up one magical day. Wow. Can I be honest with you? It doesn't matter how mature you get in your faith. We all still struggle with that tension of unanswered prayer. And, and we all get sucked back into this posture of immaturity to shake a fist at God and say, where are you? Don't you care about me? But he does. He really does care about us. The psalmist said these familiar words, God, your loving kindness is better than life itself. When the translators of the King James Version interpreted those words from the Hebrew into English, they actually had to make up a word for the character of God that had previously not ever been used in the language. And they came up with this word, loving kindness. He's not just kind, he's not just loving. He's so kind in his actions and everything that he does. We gotta call that, because kindness doesn't say it. He's lovingly kind. And they coined a new word to describe God. And I know, I know there's stuff that people are going through right now. Maybe you're one of those people. We've had two dear families in our church affected by loss this week. Two dads. 
Brian's dad, Frank's dad, both passed away earlier this week. It's a heavy time. Lots of folks going through job issues, unemployment, layoffs. A lot of family issues going on. A lot of people walking through very deep pain. And I know the perspective at this time can easily shift to, God, where are you? But he's going somewhere with this. We've we got to stick with the story because the punchline here is at the end. The polarity persuasion is the question. I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Boom. I mean, that's the real question. The, the question here is about our persuasion, our faith. How will we polarize? Are we going to come through our circumstances? And we kept praying, we kept praying and kept praying and said, why do we even bother? And Jesus asked this hard question. Like when Jesus comes back and he looks for it, he's searching around the earth. Is he going to find faith? Or is he going to find a bunch of people with their arms folded going, that sure didn't work. That was a waste of time. And this is where circumstances separate the men from the boys. This is where maturation either kicks in or it doesn't. When we ask the question, where is justice? How is this fair? That's the question that leaves us, am I going to have faith or not? And this is why Jesus invites us, like, come, journey with me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I'm gentle and humble, and you'll find rest for your souls. But if you take the reins and say, God, I need you to work this out by next Thursday, and then two weeks from Friday, I need this answer, and I need these finances, and I need it all to go this way. Then we're God. And he's our servant. But when he puts us through these situations, or more accurately, theologically, he allows situations to come our way where we don't get the spontaneous results that we're looking for. Wow. Will he find faith in the earth? Will he find anyone that can come through the storm and still say, I trust you, God. The one who still says, though he slay me, like Job did. And again, Job realistically was the first book ever written in the Bible. It potentially predates even Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The age-old question of Job, suffering, crying out to God, and still not seeing the answer. That's why this is the punchline in the story. Will he find faith in the earth. Well, if we're persisting in prayer, if we're coming to him saying, not my will, but yours be done, he will find faith in the earth. If he finds an attitude among his people of, well, I didn't get my prayer answered. I'm taking my ball of faith and going home. He won't find faith in the earth. And so he invites us to come with this posture of humility so does not getting justice or justice being delayed, does that destroy my faith or build my faith? 
If we're to be honest, I think most of us would say, it kills my faith. If I don't get justice or if justice is delayed, I get very easily frustrated. I can very quickly just push back and say, God, I don't have anything to do with this. Like I've been faithful to church. I've been faithful to give. I've been faithful to serve and nothing's going my way. That's when my faith shuts down. But if we persist, not just in prayers that are looking for easy formulas, you say the magic words and boom, you get your answer. But if we persist in a prayer that's of a right attitude, everything changes. Let me give you this real quick. Here's four ways, four components of persistent prayer. I'll give you these really quick. First of all, persistent prayer is frequent. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 doesn't say pray 20 minutes a day or half an hour or an hour or a couple hours. it's, It's much easier than that. Just pray without ceasing. That's all. Just pray all the time. I remember I had this friend years ago. I found him shocking as he engaged in this lifestyle of praying without ceasing. I'd say to him, hey, Ken, I just found out that this family um, had a serious loss. And his response would be, Jesus. And I thought, watch your mouth. But he was legitimately responding in a prayerful way. He'd be like, Jesus, help us with this. He's very intense. Later, he kind of evolved out of that. And he would just go, God, help us, God. And again, you may not be that vocal with your response, but, but, but I liked what I saw in his heart. He would hear bad news and he'd be like, oh, Jesus, help us. He'd be faced with a conflict and be, oh, God, we need your help. That's a beautiful place to be because it reflects, number two, both dependence and humility. In Matthew 6, 8, it said, your, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. It also says in the Psalms, before the word is on my lips, you know it completely, O God. It has nothing to do with your prayer. It has everything to do with your posture. Of depending on him, of of saying rather than, I'll fix this, it's, God, I need you. I need you to fix this. I've found many times in the last year that, you know that song we sing, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. I, man, I find myself singing that all the time. God, you know my situation, even before I pray. And, and when my knees hit the floor, or when my chin hits my chest, I know that I'm just very simply responding with a posture of I need you. Yeah, God, you're going to find faith on the earth because I can't make it work without you. I need you. That is the beautiful posture of humility. I'm, I'm not there all the time, but I'm striving. Everything in me wants to be in that place where rather than sorting out myself, I trust God. Something else persistence looks like is gratitude. I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I did preach. You'll find it in our um, sermon vault on our website. If you go to sunwestchurch.com, look for that message, Mr. Blue Sky, where we talked about prayer with thanksgiving. Again, he heard my prayer the first time. I need to persist in prayers and petitions, it says in Philippians 4, with gratitude. So I ask him once and then 
after that, Father, thank you that you heard my prayer. Father, thank you that you're working this out. Father, I asked you about this last week. I just give you thanks that somehow you're working this together for my good. And then lastly, persistence in prayer has a joyful, long-range perspective. This one really takes faith. James said, Count it all joy whenever you fall into trials and temptations of many kinds, knowing that the trying of your faith develops persistence. Hmm. Perseverance. I mean, isn't that what the parable is all about? The parable of the persisting or the persevering widow. The lady who's bankrupt. The lady who's facing injustice and discrimination, who isn't being heard. That, that's the posture of our prayer. Coming to God and saying, God, I, I can't figure this out. This sucks. I'm going nowhere. I don't know how I'm ever going to pull things together. But you keep coming to God. Again, James says when you're at that point, you just, this is awesome. I know it sounds a little bit like a sociopath. You get into real difficult times and you smile and you laugh and you consider this awesome and joyful and happy. But this is what I want you to see. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? See, this is real faith. My prayers are unanswered. It's not going my way. I don't like the outcome. I'm fearful about the result. God, help me. In that place of bankruptcy of spirit, that poverty of spirit, where you don't have any solutions or answers, everything, all your chips are on the table. You're all in saying, God, I actually am going to have to trust you. And it's at that point, a smile comes to your face because you realize, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be trusting God. If I'm trying to figure everything out, my blood pressure's going up, I'm getting nervous, I'm chewing my nails, I feel incredibly awkward all the time. But wait, I have an opportunity here to throw in my towel and just lean on God. That doesn't suck. In the world's eyes, that looks like pathetic weakness. In the eyes of our Lord, it's beautiful humility. I want to be the first to confess today. I need Jesus, I don't know where I'd be without him. He is my best friend. He is my confidant. He is the boss of every part of my life. I don't care who knows it. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I need God. If religion, specifically trusting in God, is a crutch, my God, I want a wheelchair. I want to be just lost, just laying in him saying, I got nothing but a little joystick pushing me around with this motor that says, I trust him and that's all I got going for me. 
I am lost in my dependence on him. I love him. I'm mad about him. I couldn't live without him. He's the source of my life. He's my breath. He's everything to me. And I want to live there. I don't want to just visit there. A couple minutes a day when I bow my head to pray my bedtime prayers or my prayers at the start of the morning or pray over a meal, I want to live in a place where I'm perpetually relying on Him. I think about Him all day long. I invite Him into my life all day long and say, God, I need you every step of the way. Hmm. Invite the worship team to come. I couldn't believe Maddie pulled out this song and had to explain Sheol. Because overnight, I, like I, I prepare my sermons usually a week or two in advance, and I was thinking, should I share this bit? No, I don't want to have to explain Sheol. And then Maddie goes there with this song. We're going to close with this song. I asked Maddie if he wouldn't mind just mixing it up and singing the Sheol song again. C.S. Lewis wrote a book. You guys heard of C.S. Lewis? Brilliant Christian author. One of, my, one of my heroes of the faith. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce. It has nothing to do with divorce. It has everything to do with the separation between God and man. I'd highly recommend you read it. In this book, as people head into the afterlife, there's this huge chasm between God and various characters in the book. There's the lady whose son is struggling with some serious physical difficulties and dies. And, and as the lady is in this waiting place in Sheol, God, as, Matt, as the song says, as Matt mentioned, God is there even in that afterlife place, inviting her to give up her anger and her unforgiveness. But the lady says, I, I can't. I can't let go of that. And she has already made her choice for eternity. There's, there's all kinds of different characters. I'm not going to give away the punchline of the book, but... All these characters going through different types of hell. And they have to make a choice. Am I going to trust God or not? It's a beautiful story. As Matt and the team lead us in this closing song, I want to invite you to persist in prayer because, ready for this? Because Jesus is persisting with us, for us. He's coming after us. He's longing for us. He's, he wants us. And I want to invite you to persist in prayer because he's persisting for you. He forever sits at the right hand of God praying for you. Caring about you. The Bible says making intercession. He's going to the Father on our behalf. And because Jesus 
is pursuing us, I invite you this morning with a fresh commitment of your heart to pursue him. Go ahead, guys, and lead us.